And I pray for us. Lord God, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would allow us to drop our defenses. Lord, whatever we walked in with this morning, whatever circumstances we're dealing with, whatever, whatever our beliefs are, whatever our, our station in life is, Lord, I'm asking that your word would speak to us, that you would illuminate what the heart of the matter is, what the heart of the issue is. God, we ask this morning that you would speak. It's in your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. What is your definition of justice? What have you held on to? What do you believe is the standard of justice? What do you think about what's going on in our world? What do you think needs to happen in order for everything to be put right? What do you believe needs to take place in order for all things to come to a place of perfection, a utopian society? What do you believe that is? What, what do you desire most in your life? What do you long for the most in all things? What, what is causing you to come to a place where you're like, I, I feel good about things, I, I like where I'm at in, in life, or what are you hoping for in the future? What are you hoping? I'm, I'm hoping to get to this point. I'm hoping to get to this place. I'm hoping to be at that circumstance. You can kill that if you want. Got a squeak in our HVAC system here, and so we're going to kill that. It's going to get hot. So... What are you hoping for in life? What are you hoping for in our political system? What is your viewpoint? What do you want to see happen? The Christian gospel presents us with the only answer to it. The Christian gospel, and in particular, the cross of Jesus Christ, is the crux of Christianity, literally the cross, Crux means cross. It is the cross. It is the center point. It is the only place that you can go, that you can be, that you can begin your relationship with God. And the Christian gospel presents it as the only way that justice comes to your life, that, that, that all things are put right, that it is the only way that anything can come to a place of complete utopia in some future date that we don't know of yet. It is the only thing. We long for it. We long for it in our, how we vote. We long for it in the things that we are for and against. We desire it with the things that we work for. We're wanting these things. And we have a standard and we have an ideology and we have goals and dreams and visions of what will make all things perfect. And the Christian gospel brings something to us that is complete foolishness to our world. It's complete, uh, it's, it's asinine, it's crazy. It's, why would anyone believe this? But this is what the Christian gospel brings. The Christian gospel does not bring to you a set of morals, a set of uh, moral teachings. 
It's not the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, supposed to be, in my estimation, uh, Jesus' manifesto of how life should be when it's in perfection. It's not that. It's not the teaching of, of Jesus Christ that is the center point that will put all things right. Jesus' teaching is putting out there what the standard is. But what is going to change things is not his teaching. It's not the teaching of Jesus. It's not the way of morality. It's not just being more moral. It's not being faithful to your spouse. It's not uh, anything like that. It's, it's not even biblical, biblical sexuality. It is, the center point is the Christian gospel through the cross. That is what the point is. I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what you believe that Christianity is about or what it's for or what it means or what it doesn't mean. I don't know what, what you came in here with because there's many of us in Christianity today that have a wrong belief, that have an incorrect assumption, that have things that have been uh, passed down to us just through being an American. Or perhaps if you grew up in the church, not everybody here did grow up in the church, but we, we have taken these things on and but what Jesus promises to you and what Jesus promises to me is complete change, complete and total change through one thing, and that is through his cross. And in our world today, we have so many different definitions of what justice is, of what our goals should be, of what we desire our country perhaps began with this ideology of there being one truth, but it has bifurcated. It has split off into so many different directions, and so, and it's not even just going in the same direction. It's all the way around. Everyone, this one pulling this way, that one pulling this way, this one going there, 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 and there. So our society is being ripped apart through various ideologies. Our society is being ripped apart through conservatism. You heard me. Our society is being ripped apart through conservatism. The idea that, uh, that we should have small government and that, we sh that no one should in 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 infringe on my rights, on my ability to bear arms, on, on what I should do with my body or who should take responsibility for their own life. Our, our society is being ripped apart by conservatism. Our society is being ripped apart by liberalism. The idea that we should have big government, we should tell everybody what to do, and that, that we should, uh, whatever all of liberalism is, but that sexuality doesn't matter. It's, it's just what everybody thinks, that you can change your gender, that you can do whatever you want, that you can uh, uh, have sex with as many people as you desire, that you, that you can go and do and be whatever you want in that sense. Our world is being ripped apart through not just through those two political views, but it's being ripped apart through your views. It's being ripped apart through my views. It's being ripped apart through all of our views. And we are a society that is unhinged. And there's proof of it as, as we see riots and as we see fighting and anger and murder and uh, the, the murder rate, I mean, I just read the other day, there's 900 and some odd shootings in Portland this year. 
Uh, I think it was 2019 that did they quote, had 300 and, and something in the whole year. This year isn't even over yet. And we are three times, the murder rate has, has tripled three times, or at least shootings or something along those lines. What's happening to our world? Our world has very different definitions of what justice is, and everyone believes that their standard of justice is right. The Apostle Paul has been going to great pains throughout the book of Galatians, which we're finishing up today, God willing. He has been going to great pains to, to tell us that it is not through obedience to the law that you get right with God. You cannot become a Christian because you did the right things. That, that does not save you and it will not save you. It doesn't matter how many things you stop in your life. It doesn't matter who you stop having sex with, what you believe about this political view or that, that political view, or it doesn't matter who you uh, love, who you don't love. It doesn't, it doesn't, none of that. You cannot become a Christian. You cannot have a relationship with God but through the cross. And so he's been telling us this. It says this in verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. The Apostle Paul is, was, uh, probably had a scribe there writing this letter as he uh, dictated it to the scribe, and now he's essentially sending an email in all caps, and he's saying, do you hear me right now? I mean, have you ever gotten one of those emails like, I do not want to date you? Like, I don't know if you've ever got one of those. Not that I have. Uh, I do not like you smell bad. I mean, just, just some examples there. I don't know if you've gotten those. It's all caps. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to understand this very, very clearly. I'm writing it with my own hand. And I want you to see what I'm saying, that this is what I'm going to tell you. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. If you're just joining us, that sounds like a very strange word. Why would he be talking about circumcision here? Old Testament, God gave circumcision to his people as a sign of who they were in him. That's what he required. Now, Jesus comes, circumcision is put away with, and now Jesus, uh, receiving Jesus Christ by faith uh, through the cross is what's required. There are these people who are saying, you need to be circumcised, meaning this, that you have to obey the law and have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what has to happen in order for you to be saved. So he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What's their real issue? Their real issue is this, is that they want approval. They want approval. These teachers that are coming into the church in Galatia, they want approval from other people because they don't want to be found as somebody who's saying, it's just through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's just through the murder of this movement leader on this instrument of death that you can be saved. That's the only thing. Why would they be persecuted? Well, I'm gonna get into that in a minute, but ultimately what they want is they want approval. They want people's approval. And guess what? You and I can be in the exact same spot. Every day you have pressure put on you to 
believe something, to believe something that self-salvation comes through something that you glory in. You believe something that like self-salvation will come in my political views. Self-salvation will come in my sexual views. Self-salvation will come in me building a great company. Self-salvation will come in when finally getting married. Self-salvation will come in finally starting a career or getting a promotion in my career or something like that. It's, it's that. But what he's saying here is he's saying, these people want you to believe that the way to God, the way to utopia, is through glorying or boasting in something. They believe this, and they are only doing this for approval. And you and I can come to our culture, we can come to our world, and we can desire approval. Because the cross of Christ seems absolutely asinine. It seems like foolishness. It seems like craziness. And we do not know what to do. And so we desire approval. And so it's, a, it's an indictment on us. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. These people who are saying you need to get circumcised, the Apostle Paul has said early in the book of Galatians, if you submit to circumcision, you are required to keep the entire law, 600 and some odd laws in the Old Testament. If you, if you submit to that law, then you have to submit to all the laws. Christians sometimes do this when they say baptism is a requirement for salvation. It's called baptismal regeneration. It means this, that I'm not saved, I'm not saved by Jesus, I don't have a relationship with him until I am baptized, and so therefore, I have to be baptized. Sometimes there's denominations who say you gotta speak in tongues. You're adding something to the gospel. You're adding something to Jesus. Uh, and sometimes there's things like don't listen to secular music. I, as a child, was... Uh, not allowed to listen to secular music. And indeed, I was even physically harmed, beat for listening to secular music as though that was the standard of righteousness. The way I've dealt with it with my children these days is like they can listen to anything that's not explicit or uh, deeply sexual or whatever. That has worked great until I was on vacation just recently. I walked into the bedroom where all the kids were there. My brother's kids were there. And the, my tiniest niece was singing, I'm on the high. And, and I, I heard this from the other room, and, I, and I'm walking in, and I'm going, I, I'm looking at her, she's riding a little horsey, I'm on the highway to hell. And I'm like, uh, this might have backfired on me. Maybe it is a requirement for salvation that we not listen to, because what happened was my kids taught their uh, cousin the highway to hell. So, I, uh, incidentally, it is a theologically accurate uh, song. So, uh, so we have that going for us. So anyhow, okay. So sometimes we set up things that we say it's, it's Jesus plus not listening to secular music. It's Jesus plus not drinking alcohol. It's Jesus plus whatever it is, being a Republican. It's Jesus plus... Whatever it is. We add to it. And that's what these people were doing as well. 
And they wanted to boast about the fact that they got this many people to start doing what they want them to do. And they get to take credit for it. They get to take credit for what they have done in this section, what they have done in this, in this area, in these people's lives. And so he says one of the most important verses in the New Testament. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what in the world does that mean? What, 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 what does it mean to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, you have to look at this, and that is that Paul is saying this is the antithesis of what they are doing. What they are doing is, is they are saying it is Jesus plus obeying the law. It is Jesus plus obeying the rules. In our case, it might be it's Jesus plus my political views. It's Jesus plus whatever I think needs to happen with my sexuality. It's Jesus plus fill in the blank. It's Jesus plus something. It's I'm boasting in something. I have something to boast about. I have something to say. I have something to give that makes me pretty so that God will like me. Pretty so that God will. I have some say in this. I have some control. I have some ability. And guess what? It still allows me to be the judge. See, our problem today is, is that we're asking the question, who is the righteous judge? Is it the Republicans or is it the Democrats? Is it the people who uh, believe in biblical marriage and biblical sexuality or is it these other people? Who is the righteous judge? Who is able to judge everything that's going on in our world? And that is something that we would boast in. The Apostle Paul says, but far be it from me, ex uh, uh, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul's aim here is to bring to mind something, and that is you must replace what you're boasting in with the cross of Jesus Christ and boast in that. But in order to boast in the cross, in order to be able to say, I, I'm boasting in this, I'm exceedingly joyful about this. This is my only hope. This is where utopia can finally come through the kingdom of God. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened. This is the only thing that's ever happened in comparison to anything else in this world. This is the thing. This is it. This is the standard. In order to boast in the cross, you must believe a couple things. The first thing is this, that God is the righteous judge, and I am not. That God is the righteous judge, and I am not. The cross is, is, is called offensive. It's called foolish. It's called crazy. In fact, if you would, uh, you don't need to turn there with me, but uh, 1 Corinthians, if I can find it here. Put all these little things here. Okay, there we go. It says, it says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly 
to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is, is folly, it's foolishness, it's craziness. Why is it foolishness and why is it craziness? Well, it begins with this. It begins with God as the righteous judge and I am not the righteous judge. My political views are not the righteous judge. What I think about the world, what I think about the pandemic, what I think about anything doesn't uh, compare to the reality that God is the righteous judge and he must make the determination as to what is and what is not. Moses, when he was, uh, when he was <laughs> alive, uh, said, oh, God, I wanna see you. I wanna see your glory. And God says, that's fine. I'm gonna hold my hand over you and I'm gonna pass in front of you and I'm gonna declare my name. And what does God declare? This is what he, this is what he says in uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse five. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. Can you imagine hearing God, hearing God proclaim his name? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We like that. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. We like that. Forgiving iniquity. Okay, he's, he's forgiving, and transgression and sin. Oh, getting into some difficult stuff, but who will by no means clear the guilty? He says, within the context of my name, within the context of who I am, there is incredible grace and mercy and love, but I am absolutely just. What does that mean? It means that he is wholly just, as the holy God, he is wholly just. It, it means that he is the judge. It means that what he says is the truth. Look at our world, look at how it's falling apart. Everyone's saying, this is right, that's right, this is right, that's right. Everyone believes that, that what they're doing is right in their own eyes and that they just should continue doing that and it's destroying us. God comes in and he says, I am merciful, I am compassionate, I forgive, but I will by no means clear the guilty. God is the righteous judge and I am not. And how does he judge us? How does he judge us? Well, you should look at Romans chapter one with me, which begins to talk about the gospel. The apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So then it says, okay, why do we need the gospel? Why must we have the good news of Jesus Christ? We must have the good news of Jesus Christ because of this. For the wrath of God is revealed. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is, it's one of the clearest statements. I use it often, but what it's saying is this, is that God's wrath is being revealed in our world through the things that are happening because men 
in their ungodliness are suppressing the truth. What's the truth? The truth that God is the judge of what is right and wrong. The truth that God is the one who will judge us. That God is the one who, he's the only one who can forgive us. That he is the one that is completely full of mercy, but completely full of justice. God's wrath is revealed. Why is the Christian gospel considered folly, especially the cross? Because first of all, it begins with this, an understanding that God is the righteous judge. That God is the righteous judge and he is the only one who can say about your life that this is right and this is wrong. He's the only one that can look at our society and say, all of this stuff is deserving of hell. He's the only one who can do this. Why is that? Why is that? Because he's the one who created us. He is the one who created us. He is the one who has determined right use. It's completely absurd to use something for the wrong use. Like using a uh, fork for a shovel. Like, like uh, using a watch. I heard, uh, just read this recently as an example. A watch as a hammer. It doesn't make any sense. God is the one who created us. He is the one who has determined what right use is and what wrong use is. He is the one who gets to make that determination. He is the righteous judge. And to come to the cross and see Jesus on the cross and see what he's dying for must begin with an understanding of this, that I have offended him and need forgiveness. He's the righteous judge, number one. Number two, I have offended him and need forgiveness. You know that you've offended him. Maybe you've rushed headlong and you, you, you feel like you're offending him, but you're just trying to not really think about it. You're trying not to really deal with it. You're trying to kill those feelings through whatever it is, numb the feeling. It might just be through uh, excessive TV watching. It might be through uh, some type of drug use, some type, uh, some type of alcohol. It might be through just, I'm just going to work my way out of this. I'm just going to work so hard that I, that I don't have to think about this, that I, that I don't have to deal with it. But here's the thing. What's happening with the wrong use of alcohol, with the wrong use of drugs, with the wrong use of entertainment, with the wrong use of work, with all of that, it is men trying to suppress the truth because of our ungodliness. It is us trying to say, no, I will not submit to him. But here's the way to God. The way to God is to surrender yourself. It is to surrender yourself to the truth that he is the righteous judge and I am not, that I have offended him and that I need forgiveness, that I need forgiveness for my sin, that I need forgiveness for all of the ways that I have totally walked away from this God. The crux, the center point, the the most important thing that you could possibly believe is this, is that God is the righteous judge, I have offended him, and that he has sent the son to die for all of the ways that I have offended him, that he has sent the son to die because of the ways that I have offended him. If you were to read on in Romans it says this, for what can be known about God, in verse 19, 
is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The dishonor of God, the, the repeated refrain that says, I am judge, I believe that I can tell everyone else what is right and I can tell myself what is right. I can forgive myself, I can be God is something that's happened since the creation of the world. It happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. As God gave them one rule, don't eat from that tree. Satan comes and says, no, God's keeping something from you. He knows that you'll be wise like him, knowing good and evil. You will be able to judge for yourself what is right for you. You will be able to determine for yourself who you can and cannot be involved with sexually you will be able to determine what the most correct political views are. You will be able to do this for yourself. And what does it say here? It says that they, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And what is that saying there? It's saying this, it's saying that we have stopped worshiping and serving and glorying in this God who created us. And instead we glory in the things that he created. And it's an affront to God. See, here's the thing. When we sin, God is always the most offended party. God is always the one who is the most offended, and your sin against your spouse or against your workmates or against people in your school or against whoever it is, the other political party, your sin in that sense is always an affront first and foremost to God. And so what does God do? Verse 24 says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. What's happening in our world? Our world continues to go down this path and you and I are in this world. You and I are part of this problem. You and I are in the midst of this. This is saying this, God allows us to become more sinful. The more we suppress the truth, the more God allows us to become more sinful. God gives us the thing that we want. God gives us the thing that we desire. God allows us to continue on in our sin, to continue acting on those things, and, and a society that is hell-bent literally on this is a society that will rip itself apart and descend into sexual immorality that we have never even seen before. And I believe we're seeing that today. We're seeing it in the schools. We're seeing it in the hearts of Christians today who cannot seem to put together what righteous sexuality is, what gender actually is, because we do not understand that God is the righteous judge. We are not, and that we have offended him first and foremost, and that we need forgiveness. We must have 
forgiveness. In order to boast in the cross, we must see that the cross is the most important moment of all time. The cross is a fact, first of all, Charles Spurgeon says. He says it's a fact that Jesus was put on a cross. It's number one, it's to believe that that happened. It's to believe that Jesus went to the cross, but it's not to believe that, oh, look at that, it's an incredible example of sacrifice, of self-sacrifice. And so therefore, I should just follow in his footsteps and I should sacrifice myself. Now that's, that's nice, that's good, and we should sacrifice ourselves, but that's not the sum total of what that means. It's not even half of it. The fact that he went to the cross is, yes, it happened. It doesn't mean that that's just an example to us. It means this, that something happened on that cross, and it's called the doctrine of atonement. The doctrine of atonement says this. The doctrine of atonement says that Jesus' blood had to be shed, that blood had to be shed in order for my sins to be wiped out. That Jesus' blood had to be shed, that he had to be killed as he takes on the sin of the world. He takes on all righteous judgments. He takes on all of my mistakes. He takes on all of the stuff that I've done. He can take everything from the most vile sinner that's in this room or in this world. He can take everything from that person and he can take it on him on the cross and he did so for you. And he goes to the cross, and when his blood is shed, and when he dies out on that cross, what happens is this, is atonement. He atones for. This righteous judge who is God, he is full of grace and mercy and love, but he by no means will clear the guilty. Clearing, and so here you are, you and I, as somebody who is guilty, who has suppressed the truth, who has kept down what God is trying to reveal to us. And here we are as the guilty. He will by no means clear the guilty, but then something happens. He sends the son, which he had always planned on doing from the very beginning of time in order to be a display of, yes, his mercy. See, his mercy and his justice go hand in hand together when he sends the son in order to die in your place, when he sends the son in order to bleed out for you, when he sends the son and all of his justice and all of his wrath is taken out on the son in order that you could experience both the justice and the mercy and yes, the wrath and the love of God all together in one. See what people hate is they hate the idea of a just God who is full of wrath and anger and hatred of all things wrong. But guess what? You have some things that you hate. You have some things that you, that you say, I hate that. I hate that they believe that. I hate that they want that. I hate that, th that, that these people are acting this way. I hate racism. I hate sexism. I hate homophobism. I hate whatever it is. See, you have things. How could you hold a different standard for God? See, God says this. God says, I am the righteous judge. You are not. And I am displaying it on the cross at that moment with the doctrine of the atonement. 
with the doctrine of the cross. But see, also is this, and this is what I thought was cool from Charles Spurgeon. He says, it's the fact of the cross, it's the doctrine of the cross, but then he says, it's the cross of the doctrine. So you can get into all the details of how my sin was given to Jesus. He takes my sin and he imputes to me, he inputs into me all of his righteousness, all of his goodness. You can get really hung up on that. You can get really involved in that. But what, what Charles Spurgeon thinks you have to do is that you have to specifically look at the cross to see what happened. That you have to specifically look at him so that you are able to glory in or so that you are able to boast in it. But you can't boast in it without first understanding how lost I am, how lost you are. You can't boast in something that, you're not, that, that you, you don't even appreciate, that you don't love. Until you see that you've sinned against this God, that he's always the most offended party, until you understand that you are the one who's violated him, and that I am the one that has violated him, you cannot boast in the cross. And so how do you boast in the cross? It has to come first with reveling in my inadequacy to be able to make anything right. Why are people turning to Jesus? I have somebody very close to me right now who is turning, not physically right here, but someone's close relationally. <laughs> it's you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> prophetic word over you, sir. Yes, yes. Welcome to Outward. All right. Uh, <laughs> somebody very close to me who just said to me the other day, he said, I have tried and I have tried and I have tried to eliminate these things out of my life. I have tried and I've tried and I've tried to come to a place of peace. I have tried and I've tried and I've tried. And I guess if I have to surrender to somebody in order to get that, then I guess I'm ready to do that. Do you know what's happening in our world today? There are millions of people who are going, uh-oh, I guess this isn't working. Extremism, extreme right-wingism, is it, let, let me just ask you in, in the news, if you even believe the news, but uh, <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke, so, uh, so like, is, is that what you were thinking would happen? Is that what you were thinking was gonna take place? Is, is, is that what you were hoping for? Let me ask you, you on the left, is, is, is like, uh, were, were you hoping that this was gonna go down like this? That your political views were gonna be the savior of the world, but all it's leading to is more anger and fighting? And as that party and that movement separates into so many different sects, into different parts of this in between feminism and transgenderism, LGBTQ and whatever other words you want to put on there, as they start infighting, as, as, as we start seeing the things that were happening in the schools today, is that what you had in mind? I think there's millions of people who are sitting here going, uh-oh, uh-oh, this world's out of control. This world is completely out of control. And so what has to happen? In order to boast in the cross, I must revel in my inadequacies. That sounds crazy. But you have to revel, you have to think through 
all of the ways that you have offended God and continue to do so. See, what, the, what these religious jerks were doing in Paul's day is they were saying, no, do this and you'll be perfect. There's no reveling in their inadequacies. There's no reveling in what my wife said at the beginning of the service. That was my wife, by the way, that came up here. And she said, it's in our need that the only requirement is our need. It's reveling in my need for the righteous judge to bring both grace, mercy, and, and justice into my life. It's, it's, it is in that. We must revel in my inadequacy. How do you boast in the cross? How do you glory in the cross and not in your political views? How do you glory in the cross and not in your sexuality? How do you glory in the cross and not in anything else? It's first of all this, like all of my opinions are crap. All of them. Everything that I believe is, is right may not be right because it doesn't align with God, the righteous judge. And I have made a mess of my life. The greatest thing that can happen to you is for you to come to an end in and of yourself where you come to the place where you just go, I cannot fulfill it. I cannot do it. Circumcision won't help me. Not drinking won't help me. Not doing this, doing that, doing the other thing. Like, none of that's going to help me. What must help me is this, is that this righteous judge is forgiving all of my inadequacies, all of my iniquity, yes, all of my sin that I deserve hell for. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve to be sent to hell. I deserve that. Must revel in our inadequacy, and secondly, reveling in his pain for me. I love these old hymns. One of my favorite songs of all time. I get made fun of it a lot because I used to play this song constantly when I was the worship leader here. Yes, I was the worship leader when we started the church. And don't, don't act so surprised, all right? Forget you, all right. Uh, must revel in... What did I write? Where did I put that? Revel in, oh, his pain for me. When I survey the wondrous cross, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. When I'm looking at the cross and I, and I see it, it, it's not just a movement leader. He is the prince of glory. He's the one I was designed to glorify. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of glorying God in our intended use. When I look at the wondrous cross and I see the prince of glory, how he died, my richest gain the thing that I think brings me the most value, my political views, my judgments about life don't matter anything. All of the ways that I think that I've fulfilled God's, God's laws, all of my faithfulness to my spouse, all of the stuff that I think is right, I count it as loss and I pour contempt. I, I look at it and I say, That's, it's nothing. It's, it's awful. It's terrible. It has nothing to do with my salvation. It says, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them 
to his blood. See, listen to this, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? How do you boast in the cross? Better yet. What's your definition of justice? Is it what you think? What's your definition of success? What's your definition of all things being put aright? It can only happen as you submit to God as the righteous judge who says that you are and that I am a horrific sinner. And that means the person that is the most clean-cut churchman in this room all the way down to the person that is hiding the biggest secret that no one would believe. That the cross of Christ is where all of that comes to an end. As a churchman, as somebody who has been externally righteous for however long, you are as vile as the person who needs it the most. The only way to boast in the cross is to see your inadequacy, your inability to become right with God, to admit that you have suppressed the truth, that you are not just part of the problem, but you are the problem in the world today. It is not the other political party. It is not all of the other people. It is that you and your views of you as the righteous judge are dead wrong. It is folly to our world and to no longer go after the approval of our world and to say, I will put up with the disapproval of the world from now on. Do you see what the, what the, the rest of that verse in verse 14 says? I don't even have it here. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world and all its views have been crucified to you and you to it. As long as you're seeking approval, you're not getting it until you go after the thing that seems like the most foolish thing that a movement leader 2,000 years ago was God incarnate that he was crucified on this cross, and it is that moment that means everything. Until you see that, you are not a Christian. You are destined for hell. You, you, you do not see rightly. You do not judge rightly. You must receive Jesus Christ as Savior. You must believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and give your life to him, submitting to him, believing that you have sinned against him, and that you will sit in unrighteousness and ultimately end up in hell without his saving. That is a hard word to hear. That's why it's considered folly. But I beg of you, I plead with you, do not leave this place today without giving your life to Jesus Christ.
Can we go to the Lord's table right now?